Morning. Uh, it's Vision Sunday. So uh, Vision Sunday uh, for us is uh, particularly a way where uh, we get to talk about the, the season that our church is in. And we have an opportunity to uh, look at some things that we can do individually so that corporately uh, we're moving in the same direction. So if you think about the concept of momentum in an organization, in a church, and in other places. Uh, momentum is not when you have you know, one or two people doing something and they're, they're really loud about it. Uh, momentum is when you get a whole bunch of people that are all uh, running or walking and moving in the same direction, beginning to pick up pace, and then you begin to see uh, momentum. And so uh, Vision Sundays for us is ensuring that we're re-clarifying where our church is going. We're looking at this next season. We're talking about the things that God has impressed upon the heart of our church through our elders, through our leaders, through our staff, through uh, various team leaders, and making sure that we're communicating what we believe that looks like so that we're all running in the same direction. And today, uh, I want an opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, two things. One of them really is more of a perspective change. So it is about how we view some specific things about God and the Christian life that I think are really important. And then in order to kind of help us do some of that, because I'm an action item guy, I like little boxes that I can check. Some of you are action item people. Yes? yes. Ah, a couple of you are like, yes, please, I need my boxes. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple things that we can commit to doing in the pursuit of this and, and that, that align with this perspective change so that uh, we all are running in the same direction. Uh, uh, my name is Pastor Daniel. I forgot that part. Sorry. <laughs> Got that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So now you know, and we're going, and we're on Vision Sunday, and we're talking about those things. And so um, I, I want to talk about this verse that really got me to this point today and I ran across it months ago and I've been kind of chewing on it and it got me here. Uh, but really what happened in the course of the verse, uh, reading it in the Bible and seeing it and, and, and pondering it is I begin to think about how you and I and a lot of people in the American church have this, uh, some, some distortions or some misunderstandings of who God is because none of us have ever seen God. We know that in the Bible, man can't see God. He's too holy. And so we, we have imaginations that are uh, shaped by different things in our life and in our culture, and they kind of teach us things about God. Now, it's interesting because most of those started biblically, but then they like tail off into other areas, right? Like, like, you know that happens, right? We start in the Bible and then we get end off in the weeds. And so I, I would say that like a lot of us have an image of God and, and maybe you share this kind of image of God that he's kind of um, stoic and reserved. He's older. Uh, he has a beard and it's white. Have, yes, right? He's, he's sort of up there somewhere and he's very, um, he's very reserved and he's, I don't know, sometimes he's a little judgy, being honest. No, no one else. I always view him as like like this uh, gentleman from like the 1600s or 1700s with the button-up coat, where he puts one hand inside the coat, <laughs> and he always has this face on. No, nobody. You, no one else has a picture of God in their head. Am I the only guy that does this? We all do, right? We have some imagination of who God is, and, and we have a picture of him because we just can't help it. And of course, that doesn't necessarily look like God. We don't know what God looks like. But in our minds, we've taken attributes of God, and we've extrapolated them out, and we've come up with a picture of who God is. So for instance, because we know that God is unchanging in his nature, he was the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, because he's unchanging, we then attribute some things to God that aren't necessarily accurate because people that are unchanging are kind of curmudgeons. <laughs> Right? But God's not a curmudgeon. So somehow he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and yet he's not some of the other things that maybe we oftentimes attribute to God. And here's why that matters so much. I was reading in the Bible, and I ran across a verse, and it made me stop and think, wait a minute, I don't think of God that way. I've got to realign my thinking about God. Does that make sense? If you have a thought about your life or about God or about the faith or about Jesus and then you read the Bible and the Bible says something different, you have to realign your thinking about God. Does that make sense? Okay. We, we're not right, the Bible is. So I ran across this verse, the scripture in uh, your favorite Devo, the uh, book of Lamentations. That's, that was the last two years of COVID, right? We were, in, we were lamenting and lamentating. Okay. <clears throat> Enough pastor jokes. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never 
ceases. So, so far, I'm okay in my perception of God, right? Because I, I, I'm, yes, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. I'm still okay. And then I hit this one. They are new every morning. Yep, that's what it says. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I stopped and I went, how are they new every morning? If God's the same and he's always been the same and he never changes and there's no variation, there's no deviation, then how are they new? I, that, I, had, to, I had to stop and start thinking about that for a minute. But, but, but the more I studied and the more I began to think about this and just, just kind of go back to the scripture looking for it again, I began to realize that this idea of new is actually critical to the, to the Christian pursuit, to the Christian life. This idea of new, new every day, new all the time, not, not unchanging and comfortable, but new and dynamic is actually not just biblical, but it's, it's critical. In fact, new is irreplaceable in the Christian life. But I don't think we think about that as often as we probably should. In fact, I would say the opposite. I would say that for a lot of us, we hate change. Anybody in here hate change? You got some liars in here. Some of y'all hate change. I hate change. I like a routine. I like it comfortable. I like to know what's coming. And then someone changes something. I'm like, no one told me we were changing this. And I shake my head just like that. We hate change. I mean, new is fine as long as it doesn't require me to change anything. Because if I'm being honest, I'm kind of a, a slave to a routine sometimes. I'm a little bit of a slave to comfort. Not always even physical comfort. Sometimes just like mental comfort. Like I need to know how things work. I need to know what's going on. And change kind of disrupts that. I don't, I don't, I don't, always, I don't always like new. But here's, here's what I want you to take away from today. This is my, my big idea that, that I landed on. I think this is important. You can write this in the little notes section of your little card if you want. It's, it's this. We can't live the life that God wants us to live personally or corporately as a church without embracing the new. We cannot live the life that God wants us to live personally or as a church without embracing the new and the way I would describe new, because again, there's this tension between God's, God never changes and he's always the same, but yet his mercies are new, is that the application of certain unchanging principles is new. So the, the, the principle is unchanging, but the application to us, to the earth, to our neighbor, to this broken, dysfunctional world because of sin is new all the time. And we have to wrap our head around that or we're going to miss it. And so I'm going to give you three applications that are just constantly changing, even though they're from principles that never change. New applications of love, new applications of the Holy Spirit, and new applications of our mission here on earth. The same love, the same Holy Spirit, the same great commission that we've always seen in the Bible for thousands of years, but continually applied in fresh, new ways. So then if I look back, this idea of a new application of love, if I look back at that same scripture that I started with, and I say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. See, God doesn't change, but the way in which we experience his love does change. God doesn't change, but the way in which we reflect his love to our culture changes. God doesn't change, but our sanctification process inside of us is ongoing. Therefore, it changes quite a bit. And, and it's our job to continue to seek new ways to enjoy God, to be inspired by him, to fear him, to worship him. It's our job to seek this out, to discover this. Uh, we, we touched on this just a little bit last week when we talked about finding the things in life that would stir up our passion for God and doing those things, like inserting them into our life so that we can stir ourselves up and stir one another up for love and good works. It, some of y'all were actually here last week, yes? Okay, all right. So we remember, right? It's always good if you can remember something from last week. Just a, a tip. Okay. Pastors are very encouraged by that. So, so consider that mercy itself is actually an application of love. So when you hear uh, his mercies are new every morning, 
I read a quote that said, mercy is love in action. Mercies are new because God's love is applied to this broken world. And they... It's new every morning. So God doesn't change, but his mercies do because, well, we, we change and we need, are in need of new mercy. So not only an application of love, but consider new applications of the Holy Spirit. Consider even how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. In Galatians 5, Paul has an entire really chapter about the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. And he says this in, in Galatians 5.16. He says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then if you skip down to kind of the end of his, his section on this, in verse 25 he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what is so interesting about this, this whole part, is all this great stuff about the Holy Spirit, but what, what I found really interesting in this is you can only walk with the Spirit if you're walking, right? Well, hold on. Because if you sit and plop and get comfortable, it's really hard to walk with the Spirit, amen? Why? Because you're sitting. How do you keep in step with the Spirit? You have to be moving. We can't be lakes. We have to be rivers, right? The application of the truths of God change because as the Holy Spirit leads, we're expected to follow, so there's no settling. There's this thing that's occurred in different eras of human history, and it's occurred even in modern day history, where at some point we're exhausted by the, the dysfunction of a broken world around us, and we trick ourselves into thinking that we're not supposed to be playing offense, but what we actually should do is we should all huddle together, get um, kind of do the doomsday prepper thing. If we get enough water and some hymnals, we can just wait it out till Jesus comes back. That's not in the Bible. We don't play defense. We're like the NBA. We only play offense. It's great. We're always on attack. We don't sit and just go, man, I hope Jesus figures this out. We're moving. Listen to the language used in the Bible about pursuit of Christ. It's walk in, grow in, led by, in step with, not sit, age, and die. It's not part of it. It's this idea that we create a little Christian bubble somewhere and we just all hang out and let everything else go to hell in a handbasket is not part of Scripture. We're engaged in that dark culture to bring light to it. But that's constantly changing because that culture's changing, meaning we continue to find new ways to apply this. And it happens in our own life. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict you one time and go, well, now you're perfect. At least he didn't for me. It's ongoing. That sanctification process, that constant transforming is the Holy Spirit continuing to lead and, and calling me into a pursuit, a movement, a response of obedience. The moment you stop responding, you might as well be dead. I got all quiet in here. Sensitivity to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit in your life. Every believer, just quickly, every believer, if you put your faith in Christ, Jesus has saved you. When he saved you, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus promised that all the way back in the New Testament. He said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you a helper. The job of the helper, the Holy Spirit, is to come in and encourage, convict, transform, empower. But all of that requires three things. It requires you to recognize, listen to the work of the Holy Spirit in conviction and encouragement and exhortation in your life. To do that, American, you have to get rid of the noise you put in your life. Like there actually has to be time to hear from the Holy Spirit. Then you have to test that spirit. That's what the Bible tells us to ensure that that is actually God telling you to do that and not your own selfish desires. And then third, you have to obey. You have to respond. You have to actually do it. All three things. You have to recognize, test, and obey the Holy Spirit for this to actually be biblical. 
Years ago, I was, uh, and I've told this story before, years ago I was sitting with my buddy at Starbucks and we were drinking um, some coffee and I was complaining about one of my favorite subjects to complain about, which was the lack of this um, adult Bible study that I thought that the church needed to have. And it was at least week five of me complaining about this. And I was mid-sentence in the complaint when at, finally the Holy Spirit broke through me not listening and he was like, I've been telling you, you're supposed to lead it. And I got caught mid-sentence like, oh no, oh no, because I do not want to do that at all. So now I've recognized the work of the Holy Spirit, not quickly, clearly, but I've recognized it, and now I have to do something with it. So I go to my senior pastor, and I go, hey, uh, I don't know how to say this, but I think, I think that God wants me to lead an adult Bible study. And he's like, that's a great idea. And I was like, come on, <laughs> you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to tell me I'm not qualified because I'm not qualified. So now I've tested that by going to seeking godly counsel with, when we're listening to the spirit. We believe God's leading us into something. We always have godly counsel. Godly counsel is someone that loves God first, the church next, and you last. But they gotta love all three. Uh, and I've gone and I've affirmed that. And now I've got this confirmation. Confirmation, by the way, believer, I know that there's a lot of, that word gets thrown around. You think that God's telling you something and then it got confirmed. Confirmation is when you go to godly counsel and it aligns with scripture. Confirmation is not like, I read that we were a royal priesthood and then I saw a billboard in purple and that's the royal color, so it must be confirmed. Like, it's not that, okay? Like, let's be careful about confirmation. But, but, but now it's been confirmed because I've, I've gone to godly counsel and I've pushed on scripture and I realized, oh, this really is God and he's really telling me to do this, but there's a third step. And without the third step, the first two don't really matter. The third step is I have to obey. I have to go do the thing that I don't wanna do, but that I know the Lord is prompting me to do. And it's going to be new. It's going to require change. It's going to require me to change. And I'm going to have to step out in faith, maybe in an area, probably in an area that I feel unqualified and really fearful and maybe not all that accepting of. And that is actually the process of seeding to the Holy Spirit. I have to recognize, I have to test, and I have to obey. And there'll be consistent work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not going to stop doing that in your life, believer. In fact, if you get to the point where you're not at all hearing anything from the Holy Spirit over a period of time, a long period of time, like the Holy Spirit never tells you anything, I would, that would be every red flag and alarm should go off in your life and in your head that you have become callous to the work of the Spirit. You have blocked listening to God out for so long or responding and obeying to the prompting of the Spirit for so long that you can barely recognize the work of the Spirit. That's a problem. Instead, it should be constant, like all the time, like the Holy Spirit's working on you and leading you into areas, and you're like, ooh, I don't want to do that, and you do it anyways, because that's how God transforms us and changes us. So we have constantly new applications of God's love, new applications of the Holy Spirit, and lastly, new application of the mission. What is the mission? Well, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 lays out our mission for us. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. What Jesus left us on earth to do, instead of just taking us all to the afterlife right afterwards, was to go out and make disciples. So to evangelize to baptize, to teach the whole world what this looked like. Now, here's the best part. There are almost no other instructions on how to do that. Jesus is saying, go do all this stuff. And you're like, okay, how? And he's like, uh, I'd like a manual, please. He's like, oh, don't worry. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Well, could I get a checklist? No, you're going to be required to listen to him. So, so the application of the Great Commission, the way in which that's played out in the world has changed over and over and over again. I mean, in early centuries, they're hiding in the catacombs, which is the basement of the city because they're, they're under such persecution and they're making disciples in the basement. 
They're singing hymns by candlelight so they don't get caught. They're running into occupied nations where they'll be martyred for their faith. They're going back into cities that have been disease-ridden where everyone's left those that are dying because it's contagious, and we're running back in to share the gospel and minister to those who are dying to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's what it looked like in those eras. It's not always the same. Does this make sense? Now, here's the, here's the problem where we normally get to with the Great Commission. I gotta tell a story. Okay. Um, I'm the eldest of four, and so uh, oftentimes when I was younger, when my uh, parents would leave, they would do what some of you probably have done if you have kids, is they would look at the four of us and they go, by the time we get home, this should all be clean. Like, you guys need to get this all clean. And then they would leave. And I would wait until I had seen the car pull out of the driveway, and I would look at my younger siblings and go, you guys have to clean. I'll supervise. You know, if Caltrans supervises, like where I lean on the shovel. Good digging over there, you know. The problem is that the Great Commission was given to me. Say me. But over time, we've, we've, we've gotten into this weird distortion that the Great Commission, the evangelism, the discipleship of, of, the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ should be for, I don't know, pastors, not us. There, there's, this is a 100% participation. The Great Commission is your job. You got left on earth to worship God and spread the gospel. That's your job. How? That's the part that gets trickier because it requires sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, but nobody gets to opt out of the Great Commission. It's everybody's job. And listen, in America particularly, we've turned this into this weird divide where like there's this group of people that are professional clergy and it's their job to do the Great Commission and the rest of us will show up for about 90 minutes or so on a Sunday, consume a little bit of that content like it's entertainment and then take off until next Sunday. That's just, none of that has anything to do with the Bible. That's a super weird human religious thing that we've made up. The Great Commission is my job. The Great Commission is your job. It's not an optional job. Applications of, new applications of love, new applications of the Holy Spirit, new applications of the Great Commission. And it leads us into, I want you to hear the Apostle Paul talk a little bit about the Christian life in Philippians 3. Kind of hammer home this point. Here's what he says. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to the language. I, I forget what lies behind and I press on toward the goal. The Christian life is about through being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, finding the new application of God's principles, God's love, God's mission, God's commission, God's spirit on the world. And it's going to be new and ever changing. In fact, to such an extent that I'm going to strain forward in this process and I'm literally going to forget what lies behind, according to the Apostle Paul. That's how new it is. So it's the opposite of going, well, if we could just go back and do it this, no, it's always forward. It's always advancing. It's always on offense. So we have to live in this space where there's this feeling of urgency pulling us forward on attack for the gospel of Christ. And and we should be a little bit dissatisfied when we're not moving forward because we were intended to be moving forward until the point we are called home to our Heavenly Father. Now, at the beginning of the year, we set a, a, a kind of a goal about how we wanted to go about doing some of this mission with you here at Resurrection Church. 
And in, in early in 2022, we said this, we're going to cultivate a gospel culture by each becoming genuine, gentle, generous soldiers for Christ. So we wanted to focus on the gospel. We talked about three ways that we wanted to approach this, genuine, gentle, and generous. But the idea of soldiers for Christ was to drive home this point that, that we're on mission. We're not of this world. We don't get caught up in civilian entanglements. And now if I were to, to kind of assess where we're at about eight months into this, I would say that uh, we've embraced some things really well. Like one of the things that's happened really, really well in this church is that uh, the people in this church absolutely, genuinely love one another. I mean, love one another. You show up here on a Sunday morning, people are excited to see you. They're happy to see you. They want to hang out with you. I mean, you encourage me when I show up and I get to encourage you when you show up and we love one another. And if if I'm giving you the World War I analogy where we're, we're on the battlefield and we're in the trenches, if you look to your left and you look to your right over the course of the last eight months, this church has done a phenomenal job honoring one another, encouraging one another, loving one another, sacrificing for one another, and we generally love the soldier to our left and the soldier to our right in the trench. The problem is, and this is what we're addressing today, the problem is we've done a great job of that. We've done a really bad job of getting out of the trench. It got comfortable in there because we all started to get along really well and we really like each other, and it's like, maybe we could live here, you know, some curtains and like a nice throw rug, and it wouldn't look too bad. And we forgot that while we are called to love one another in unity, there was an actual battle going on. On the other side of the field, there's an enemy that needs attacking, and we got commissioned to do the attacking. And we can't stay here. At some point, we got to blow that little whistle that they blow in the movies when it's time to attack and advance on, on the enemy. And we got to climb up over that dirt berm and we got to start running toward the enemy. And the thing that really scares me in the middle of the night is I'm going to blow the whistle and there's going to be five people to go with me. <laughs> that got awkward. After first service, this guy, his first time coming, came up to me and he said, hey, I was, uh, I went to, I was in Vietnam. And when I was in training for Vietnam, the sergeant said, if you're ever on a trail and you st- the enemy starts to shoot at you, if you drop down to the ground, you're dead. As soon as you start taking fire, you, you have to advance straight at them and take their position or you'll never make it. Man, I can't think of another parallel for the Christian life. You're going to take arrows. You're going to take bullets. You're going to take fire. If you stop and stay, you're dead. Our job is to go take their position. So there's five things that I want you to consider today that they're on this little sheet of paper. They're not the only ways to find your new when it comes to pursuing Christ, but they're five common things that I've seen in the life of our church, uh, and I think that will actually really help uh, kind of focus your prayer life over the course of the next week or two. And I want to walk through all of them. You don't need to do anything uh, with this card just yet, because I'm going to walk through this with you. And, and, and here's the main thing, uh, so you're not too uncomfortable with this. You're not, you're not turning this in anywhere. <laughs> Someone's like, I didn't want to put my name on it. Like, it's for you, okay? We're not asking you to turn this in. This is just for you. You're going to keep this like in your Bible and stuff, okay? So don't get too uncomfortable just yet. I'll make you uncomfortable later. Uh, We're going to walk you through five things that I think are really good. Now, these aren't the only ways. And so maybe the Holy Spirit has been working on you and convicting you and talking to you for quite some time, and you've been putting off whatever it is that God wants you to do, and you need to go do that, right? Because part of the response is not just the, the listening and the recognition and the clarification or testing, it's the obedience. And so if you're, there's an area where God's been working on you, you need to do that, and you need to do that soon uh, because God's talking to you and you recognize it. But there's, these five, I think, are going to help our church really run in the same direction. So here's the first one on that list. You can grab that, that list to take a look at it. It's launch a group. Launch a group. So uh, maybe you're in a group, maybe you're not in a group, but for me, one of the things that happened years ago uh, is I took this really uncomfortable step of starting a group. And it was 
like, like I did not want to do it. I felt like I needed to do it. It felt like a rock in my shoe. And I was like, at some point, I'm going to stop walking around with this rock in my shoe. I'm just going to take it out. And I just, I just did it even though I didn't want to do it. And it grew me substantially because I didn't feel like I was qualified. I didn't think I was prepared. I didn't know that I really want to do it, but I felt like it was a step of obedience. And, and the steps of obedience that you take, particularly the uncomfortable ones, are typically the ones that jumpstart your growth spiritually the most. And so I... It was some of that, I thought, well, that was maybe unique to me until I started talking to people and, and when they take those same uncomfortable steps, they tend to grow too. And so uh, it became so consistent that we actually interviewed someone else uh, who stepped into a role really awkwardly and asked them what it was like. And so I'm gonna actually have you watch this video for a couple minutes of one of the more introverted person in, in our church and on our staff uh, that got pulled into leadership uh, in a scary fashion and they're just gonna talk about it. Uh, watch this video. Hi, I'm Julianne and I'm a Res Groups leader. So originally I was just a groupie in a group and our leader had moved out of town and we had built such a community and bond and we did so much stuff together, life together. Each person that was in the group, we were reading the word together, but we were stretching each other, asking each other questions and just digging into the word together, praying for each other. And I wanted that to keep going and someone needed to step up, so I just did. The biggest area of growth for me is the fact that We've all had a hard few years lately, and like we've all been through so much stuff. And at times where I can be more critical, I've learned to not be so critical and have grace for others and be more loving towards people and myself. And just my love for others has just exploded. So the hardest part about being a group leader was when I thought I wouldn't have time, I wanted one-on-one -on -one individual time with each lady and each person in my group. Being able to give each person that individual one-on-one -on -one time, I told Karen, it's one of the hardest parts about being a group leader is making sure my house is clean <laughs> by the time group starts. So my favorite part about leading the group is the fact that we can go at our own pace. We are not limited to a six to eight week class and like have to cram it in all the study and all the content. Um, we've picked some great books on like not giving the enemy a seat at our table and literally it was a six week study and I think it took us almost nine months to finish it. But we get to go through each page, each lesson and digest it and just walk it out in our everyday life and just watching the people grow from there and, and lots of birthday parties, shared losses of people, loved ones in our groups. We've done so much life together. I know that I couldn't imagine not being in a group during the past few years, just having those people to go through all these things with us. One of the things that crossed my mind when I was thinking about starting a group was, I don't know enough, I don't have enough knowledge, I don't have all the answers, and it, it would make me think, oh, I can't do that. But when I stepped into the role, and I just was real with everybody, everyone, that I didn't have to have all the answers. I just have to love people, and we can find all the answers together. We can dig in God's word, study together, and grow together, and don't let fear stop you. Because if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Maybe one of the things that uh, God is going to begin to put on your heart, begin to uh, prompt you to do is to start a group. Um, we're going to need a lot more community groups in the coming months in our church. We have a group leader training that's coming up. And so if that is something uh, that God begins to impress upon you uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some resources for you to start a group. The interesting thing about starting a group is all of a sudden you have to find people to be in your group. And, the, and the, the wonderful thing about the urgency of that is that you begin to consider people that you probably should have considered for quite a while, uh, like your neighbor and that person at the gym and that person at work and that friend that you're talking to. And you begin to, uh, God begins to shape your heart into more of an evangelistic nature so that you begin to look at people and their needs and invite them into your life. And a lot of times that happens with 
launching a group. The second thing that we have on here is to seek a new depth. I was talking to uh, a buddy of mine this past week about some changes that he wants to make in his group. And, and he's like, man, I want to, I, I want to set it. So like we we're singing hymns and we're singing songs when we start our group and like people can just decide they want to sing a song and they bring it that night. And we just all sing it. And then we're going to, we're going to do com, uh, communion. We're going to do Lord's supper together. And then uh, we're going to, we're going to have a time where people are just sharing what's on their heart and reading various scriptures. And, and I mean, it was like this a whole mini service that he wants to have on like a Thursday night. And, and, and what was interesting is not that like the, the methodology of that is the real important thing and everybody needs to do that. It was that at the heart, what he was looking for is his desire is I want people to experience God in a more real, more passionate, more vibrant fashion than they do today. And, and this is a way I think that would help them do that. And I desire more, more, uh, power in the relationship uh, and expectation of how God will move. And, and we desire that for you. You know, from an elder perspective, we're, we, don't, we don't set up a bunch of goals and hope that you go do the goals. In reality, it's the opposite. We, we want you to experience God at a deeper, more vibrant, more passionate level because as that occurs and the Holy Spirit begins to move, there's all these things that happen in the life of the church and then we actually have to determine like what in the world to do with all the things that, the, that God is doing in the church. So it happens much in reverse fashion. So maybe you need to seek a new depth. Maybe that means for you in the context of a group, you're gonna pick content that's gonna drive deeper in your relationship with God. Maybe in your personal life. That means you're going to commit to uh, reading the Bible through a year or some new type of study. Maybe that means that in, in your group or even in a mentorship fashion, you're going to meet with people and you're going to be accountable. You're going to, you're going to have a time where you really do confession, where you do a vulnerability, where you do accountability. Maybe you're going to commit yourself to more vi vibrant prayer life. Um, the uh, idea behind seeking a new depth is that you're going to look at your life and find areas in your community and personally in your pursuit of God in which you're going to commit to a extra level of uh, pursuit of Christ in the context of community in order to allow God to pull you forward and change and transform you. Maybe, number three, maybe it is to invite a new guest. There are uh, people in your life far from God in desperate need of the gospel. And God put you in their path as the person who would be the life-changing event for them because through you, they would see and be shared the gospel. I'm going to remind you again, whose job is the Great Commission? Inviting someone may mean inviting them into your life in some fashion, inviting them into your group, inviting them out for coffee, inviting them just out to dinner, inviting them to your church. But there are people that God put in your path specifically so that you would have an impact on their life. Um, you don't need to sell Christianity, guys. You just live out a life of pursuit of Christ around those people. You know, brokenness, submissiveness, humility is incredibly attractive. If you begin to do those things and talk to people about what God's doing in your life, you'll be amazed at the impact God will have on them. So maybe it's invite a guest, a new guest. Number four, maybe it's enact a new discipline. We talked about this last week a lot, about uh, removing things from your life that are robbing you of your affection for God. Removing things from your life that have caused you to become so busy that you don't have time to actually pursue the Lord. There are lots of morally neutral things, okay things that you put in your life and they begin to rob you of your affection for God and your real job if you want to pursue the Lord is get rid of those things. You're essentially saying with your life, Jesus, you're worth more than blank. And if you can't say Jesus is worth more than something, we have a real problem. And so uh, I put that on there because honestly, some of you knew that you needed to take something out of your life last week when we talked about this and you're still arguing with God about it. So look, just get to it. Maybe you need to enact a new discipline. Uh, number five, maybe you need to join a new ministry, join a new team. And um, we desire in this church for 100% meaning every person that calls this church their home to be serving somewhere on a team and in community in a group. Why? Because we know the impact it has on you. 
when you're in community and when you serve someone else. Uh, Pastor Mark was telling me about a sermon that he'd listened to on spiritual gifts that was really good. The pastor ultimately said, listen, you don't really need to know what your spiritual gifts are before you start serving people. In reality, you need to start serving people and through the process of serving people, it'll become very apparent what your spiritual gifts are. So it works in reverse fashion. We don't sit around in the trench and wait for a year trying to take spiritual gift assessments. Just go serve other people for the glory of God, and it'll become apparent. So you got, you got these five things on here. Now, here's what I want you to do with the, this card. Um, what I want you to do is I want you, see those little, little space. There's a pound sign and a little space. I want you to rank these, okay? The one on here that you're like, you know, I, I could probably do that. I want you to put a one all the way down to the worst one. The worst one would be the one who's like, oh, dear God, there's no way. That's a five, okay? So we're ranking this from like, I might be able to do that to Jesus take the wheel. You guys know what I'm saying, right? Yes, okay. Show me you got your card. Rank them, go ahead, I'll keep talking. You go one to five, one to five. Remember, you're not turning these in. No one's gonna check your homework. It's for you. All right. Someone told me that I should have put... um, I should have put move seats on here, and I was like, even I'm not that crazy. <laughs> Woo, man, that could have been rough. We're not gonna do that. Um, now, again, once you're done, you're not turning this in, this is just for you, you're gonna keep this, we're gonna talk about this. I wanna talk while you're doing this, you're ranking these, I wanna talk about this idea of being uncomfortable. Uh, and I think we've talked about this before, but I would submit that uh, we really only grow spiritually when we're uncomfortable. We very rarely, if ever, like I would say you just never grow spiritually when you're really comfortable. There's always this level of uncomfortability, this level of discomfort that is associated with spiritual growth. And I want to I want to talk about why that's the case. And the Apostle Paul, uh, in his letter to Corinth in Second Corinthians, uh, he he has some sort of thing. He calls it a thorn in his side. He has something. We don't know if it's a physical ailment. We're not really sure what it is. But he's prayed over and over and over again for God to take it away because of the pain and discomfort that it's causing. And God finally answers him and tells him, "No, I'm not taking it away." And this is where he lands after God's answer to him in 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. He says this, but he said, this is God, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's about as countercultural to the human theory as you're going to get. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when we want to do something, or when I know I can easily do something, or I know that of my own capacity I can accomplish something, why would I need to trust God? There's no, I mean, if I could do it myself, why would I even need to depend on God? We grow when we are utterly dependent and in need of God. And so when we follow the Holy Spirit into scary obedience, the kind of obedience that it's like, man, there's no way outside of a miracle that this is going to work, that is typically when we grow because it requires dependence on God. In fact, Personally, I want to live in a space where I'm taking these these really difficult faith steps, knowing that either God is going to look miraculous or I'm going to look like an idiot. One of the two. Because if I could just do it of my own power, there's, I mean, who cares? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. His power is perfected in my weakness. Now, I'm not asking you to commit to anything on this list today unless God has already been talking to you about these things and you've been wrestling with him, then by all means, please obey him and do what God is asking you to do. But but I'm asking, asking you to take this card and pray 
about where God is leading you into a new thing in this next season. So I want you to take this card and I want you to take it with you to your small group. And I want you to take it with you to the team that you serve on. And I want you to take it with you to your accountability partner. And I want you to open up your Bible and have it in there when you're doing your quiet time. And I, and, and I want you to take it everywhere you go and talk with your spouse, and talk with your friend, pray over it in your prayer time. And I mean like actual pray over it in your prayer time, fasting if necessary, and say, I'm gonna move out the distraction I'm going to eliminate some things so I can hear from the Lord and ask where he's leading me. Now, I'm going to just give you a hint that you're going to hate. And that's that because of how God works through our discomfort and our weakness, find the one on your list that's number five. Did you find it? Nobody found it. No one wants to admit they found it. I don't even have a number five. I'm not going to do it. No one's tricking me into this, Pastor Daniel. I want you to find the number five, the hardest one, the one that's like, Jesus, take the wheel, because we want him to. And I'm just going to submit, you should pray over all of it, but that may be a really good sign for you that that God is going to lead you into very uncomfortable spaces so that he can grow you. Now, the goal here for us is not that we get a bunch of guests or we get a bunch of groups or we get a, that's not the goal. That will be a byproduct of the actual goal. The goal is we want you to experience God more vibrantly in a more real fashion, more passionately in your life. And to do that, you're going to have to step into an uncomfortable space. You're going to have to begin to try some new things as the Spirit leads you. You're going to have to actually commit some time to being sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit so that you can actually obey what the Holy Spirit is saying for you to do in your life. The byproduct of that is a very, very, very healthy church. That's what happens. When you and I get serious about listening to God and doing what he says, the church gets really healthy. And so could we suddenly have 20 new groups because of this? We might. I don't know. Could we have 100 new people? We might. I don't know. What really matters is you begin to take a a step into these uncomfortable spaces. The space that's like, man, there's just no way that this is going to work. How am I going to feed 5,000 with just the fish and the bread? I don't know if God can handle that. I swear to you, God is laughing at us sometimes. You're up there like, I don't know if you can handle it. And he's like, I literally created everything you're standing on. He has a sense of humor, does he not? God loves new things. I want you to think about just just the, the, the foundation of nature is that it's always recreating. There's something always new. It's never the same, right? There's no snowflake that's up. God loves new. So somehow this God who never changes is so creative and so imaginative. He loves new and he loves you stepping into a space where you're weak so that he can show up and show you once again that he's amazing. And when a church is filled up of individuals who are each stepping into those uncomfortable zones because they want to put their faith in Christ and what he'll do and they want to live inside the power of Christ, the church gets really healthy. And so we want you to pray about this. We want you to fast. We want you to talk to your groups. I, I just want to submit to you that in every area of my life that I've ever grown with the Lord, it was always something I never wanted to do. I swore I would never go. I was never going to go into ministry. It worked out really well. And I was like, well, I'll go into ministry, but I'm just not going to be a pastor. It's not working out. I was like, I'll be a pastor, but as long as I don't have to preach. You see the pattern here, right? I wouldn't give any of it up, not because I wanted to do it, but because I want to live in a space where God is real and I expect him to move in powerful fashions and do miracles in front of my eyes. I want to see him do that in lives and to change legacies and to change families. But if I want to see it, if I really want to see it, I'm going to have to step into discomfort to do it. Does this make sense? Okay. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to take that card and you're going to start, you're going to start praying about it. You're going to take it seriously. And maybe it's not even on here. Maybe it's something else that God's been on you about. Maybe he's going to reveal some stuff in that prayer, but you're going to commit to really praying through that. And then, then when God reveals to you, whether it's on this card or otherwise, just the thing that he's on you about, and you said, yes, I will take a step of obedience. We've got, because everyone loves stickers. 
We've got stickers. You can take this, right? And you're just going to, if it's something on the car, you're going to put it on there. If it's not, I don't know, you put it on the tie, you're going to put this sticker on here, and you're going to keep it in your Bible. And you're going to show it to your team, and you're going to show it to your group, and you're going to show it to your spouse, and you're going to show it to your friends, and you're going to tell them the story about you taking a step of obedience. And you're like, Daniel, that's silly. Listen, they, they crossed the Jordan River and they built a rock monument, okay? It's not silly. We're dumb people that need constant reminders that God is good and God is faithful and God will do the things that he said he'll do and we just have to listen and obey. So when you reach the point of conviction that the Holy Spirit's leading you in that direction, you're gonna go out to the lobby and you're gonna get a sticker, you're gonna stick it on there, you're gonna put it in your Bible and you're gonna tell people about it and you're gonna go, I am really uncomfortable right now. It's great, right? Because nobody wants to blow the whistle to get out of the trench and find out no one's with them. But we can't stay here until Jesus comes back because that's not the mission. We got work to do. There are hurting people all over our neighborhoods that need the gospel and it was our job to go find them and love them. Listen, I know that change is wild. I know that it's uncertain. I know that it's definitely uncomfortable. And, and we're gonna make mistakes in this process. But the greatest mistake that we can make is not taking the risk. You can make mistakes following Jesus. If the mistake is you, you're unwilling to risk anything, you're just missing the gospel. When Jesus talks to the servants and he uses that parable, he says, uh, a master leaves and he gives his servants these talents, this money, and he leaves. And then he comes back and he says, what did you do with them? And you remember the one, the ones like I knew that uh, you were a tough guy, so a tough master, so I buried it so that it would be safe because I didn't want to risk anything. And what does he call him? Evil. He calls him evil because he wouldn't take risk with what God gave him. We were called to take risks, not sit in a pew, not fill up our time till retirement. Risks. The only, the greatest mistake that we're gonna make, and we're gonna make them, is not taking risks. Let me leave you with this. I'm gonna leave you with this. I just want you to imagine coming to a church. Imagine a church in which it was just filled up with people, constantly taking uncomfortable steps into faith spaces, expecting God to show up in miraculous ways. And that's just happening all throughout the church. You can imagine why the Bible talks about the church advancing on the gates of hell in such a fashion, because that's what happens when we trust God in that way. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 talks about the church this way, the power of Christ. It says it this way, and I'll leave, and we're going to sing a song together. It says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God wants to use you in phenomenal life-changing, world-changing ways for the gospel. It's going to be risky. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be great. Let's sing a song.